0: We have a Bible, let's go to Luke chapter nine. Luke chapter nine. And this will actually be our last Sunday in Luke for a little while, probably until 2014, if that if that makes any sense. Hopefully we'll and and, and maybe we'll be in it before then, I don't know. Uh, but we're in Luke nine, in a very familiar passage, uh, the feeding of the five thousand. The uh, Feeding of the 5,000 is actually found in all four Gospels. Not many are found in all four Gospels, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have a, uh, an uh, account of this event. And so it's a very pivotal, pivotal event in the life of Jesus, and especially in the life of the disciples. Luke, remember, is continuing to answer this question, who is Jesus? And we've been seeing all these things about who Jesus is. We saw that he has power over creation, power over demons, power over disease, power over death. We saw last week as he sent the disciples out um, and gave them that power themselves. He gave them the power of the Spirit to to heal and to cast out demons. And we find this story here is actually, it's kind of sandwiched between two questions about who is Jesus. Last week, you remember, uh, one came from Herod. Uh, Herod was confused, and in in verse 9, Herod says, John, I beheaded, but who is this? about whom I hear such things. Who is this guy? Uh, and that's the Herod that quest, the question that Herod asks to those that surround him. Um, and then actually beginning in verse eighteen, Jesus asks that question about himself to his disciples. He asks it twice. He says, First, um, who do the crowd say that I am? And then he asks the disciples, but who do you say that I am? And so this question keeps coming up, and here, sandwiched between these, these two questions, is the feeding of the 5,000, and it informs both of them. It answers Herod's question, but it also leads into Jesus asking the disciples this same question. And in fact, this miracle seems to be pinpointed specifically to the 12. Uh, the miracle obviously blesses literally thousands of people. Thousands of people experience this blessing, but it's directed specifically at the disciples. Uh, we know this in part because there's no reaction of the crowd that's given. You know, as we've gone through Luke, you see that something happens and it says, and the crowd was astonished, or and they, were, they all marveled at what he had done. It doesn't say that. It just actually shows what the disciples w- were thinking, what they were learning. And Jesus was, was teaching them something through this. What were they being taught? This is what they were being taught. That Jesus is the Messiah who provides and makes full. That's what we're going to think about this morning. Who is Jesus? The answer that comes out of the feeding of the 5,000 is that Jesus is the Messiah who provides and makes full. Let's just jump right into it, though. Let's look at um, Luke 9, verses 10 through 17. And I'll read them here for us. Beginning in verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all they had done all that they had done and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called bethsaida when the crowds learned it they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of god and cured those who had need of healing now the day began to wear away and the 12 came and said to him send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we were to go and buy food for all these people, for there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, And said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves. And gave them to the disciples. To set before the crowd. And they all ate. And were satisfied. Let me say that again. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets. Of broken pieces. What an amazing story. Verses 10 and 11. Provide sort of a bridge into the feeding of the 5,000, but just because they're a bridge doesn't mean that they're throwaway verses. In fact, I think they really help us to see part of what Jesus is going to teach the disciples in this miracle. They're intimately connected to the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. We see in verse 10, the, the apostles, the disciples, the 12 return, and they report to Jesus all that they had done. They tell him about the healing of diseases, the casting out of demons, and how they were proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. All done in the power that God had provided for them, and then as they return, it says that Jesus purposefully takes them and has them withdraw from the crowds and from the city, and they go to this, uh, to the outskirts of this town called Bethsaida. Um, Bethsaida would have been on the border of the Sea of Galilee. If you can think about the Sea of Galilee, maybe as a this this circle um, coming down is is the Jordan River into the top of the Sea of Galilee, and it would have been just to the east of that. So if you think about the Sea of Galilee as a clock, it would have been at 1 o'clock, is about where Bethsaida was. And so they were traveling there. Uh, Mark gives the reason for this retreat. Mark six thirty to 31, it helps us see the picture. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught, and he said to them, this is Jesus talking, Jesus says, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. 4, Mark says, many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. This is how much was going on, that the disciples were so busy with what was happening, that they didn't even have time to stop and eat. Have you ever been that busy? I know many of us have, where you just, lunch? What's lunch? I don't even, I got to keep going. And the disciples were that busy, and Jesus says, we got to take a break. Let's all draw away for a minute. The pressures of ministry, the demands of the people around them, around the disciples were, were great. They were excited about what was happening, but at the same time, Jesus saw the fatigue, and he said, it's time to have a rest. Last week we saw that Jesus was communicating the urgency of preaching the kingdom, right? The time is now. But yet, even here he says, and yet there's a time to draw away. There's a time, there's a time to rest, and there's a legitimacy to rest we all need these times there's times when we need to to unplug from the pressing needs that surround us we need to take time to rest not only to rest but to reflect to evaluate to think i imagine that as the disciples uh, were going with jesus that they began to talk about all that had happened they talked about their their joys and and their sorrows they talked about their victories their triumphs and their failures and jesus helped them get perspective on On what was going on and what they should do different. and uh, What they were learning. We all need this. We all need days of rest and reflection with Jesus. I don't think this is a defense for vacations. Um, I think that there is a defense for vacation. I think there's a pattern of work and rest all throughout scripture that says there's times to take a break. I think though that this is specifically about the encouragement to withdraw from the pressing needs that accompany ministering to people. That, that there's ministry that we all do towards people and there's time where we need to take a break from that. Because the needs will always be there. There will always be more and more needs. But there's a time when we need to take a step back and it's good for us. And not only that, but it's good for the people that we're ministering to. I'll be totally honest, I'm looking forward next week to not preaching. And in fact, to not being here. <laughs> I love you all, but the pressures can be good. We all need that time. We all need time to step away. And and it's good for me, and it'll be good for you. And it's always good for everyone if we take these times of rest. And so if that ever comes and you're in the midst of ministering to people and the needs are there and you feel like, I have to always be here, Jesus says, no, there's a time to pull away. There's a time to take a break, and it's good for everyone to do that. I find that encouraging here. So I'd imagine, though, that the disciples and, and Jesus were probably looking forward to this time of rest and retreat. They would have traveled by by boat. If you think about that clock face again, maybe they were at, um, I can get, I'm can i trying to do it backwards, but it would have been around 9 o'clock was where they were at, and they traveled by boat up to the 1 o'clock on the clock across the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and we find from the other Gospel writers that the crowd found out that they were leaving, and they found out where they were going. And as they traveled by boat, across the Sea of Galilee, the crowd traveled along the shore, probably about twice the distance, and ran to meet Jesus and his disciples where they were. And so Luke tells us the crowd catches wind of what's going on here, and um, they come and crash their peaceful party. Uh, can you imagine that? You're heading off for vacation for a week, and you end up where you're at and suddenly everything that you were trying to get away from is standing right in front of you. Uh, I was reminded from one message that I listened to about the movie What About Bob? Uh where Dr. Leo Dr. Leo Marvin if you've ever seen this who is a psychiatrist, he heads off to Lake Winnipesaukee and as he gets there his newest and neediest patient Bob Wiley uh is there waiting for him at his vacation home. Uh and the hilarity ensues as um Bill Murray and uh, Richard Dreyfus interact in that. So, but but that's that's kind of what's going on here. And, and it's in moments like this that, that God sort of reveals our hearts, our hearts show up. You know, we're expecting something, and then we don't get what we want. They're expecting this rest and relaxation, and then all of a sudden, uh, that's not gonna happen. Because the crowd is here. Well, what is Jesus' response? He sees the crowd and He says, can't you tell we're trying to get away from you guys? (laughs) Is that what he does? No, what's it say? This is so beautiful. It says, he welcomed them. (laughs) He welcomed them and he spoke to them of the kingdom of God and he cured those who had need of healing. He welcomed them. It's the same verse from chapter 8 verse, it's the same word from chapter 8 verse 40 when the crowd, Jesus returns and the crowd welcomes him. And so just as much as the crowd loved Jesus, Jesus loved the crowd. He he welcomed them. He he loved them. He he cared for them. Uh, Jesus was was there was frustration, there was hardship that surrounded ministry, but he loved the people. He cared for them. He was filled with grace and mercy towards them. Not only did he welcome them, but he he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. He proclaimed the good news of the rule and the reign of God in their lives. He told them that he had come to save them if they would repent and believe. And then he cures those who are sick, Jesus seeks to meet their physical needs, the people who come he, he lovingly cares for the people that are that are ill. I think this is just a beautiful encapsulation just a picture of the ministry of Jesus I imagine him with you know with a smile on his face as he's there as he embraces the the crowds that have showed up to see him and he he tells them the most important truth of the world in the world the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. It may have been a formal sermon, but I just imagine that it was—it was this informal time where he's walking around and looking people in the eye and telling them about the good news of the kingdom and and bringing healing and and just embracing and and welcoming individuals. He he lovingly calls them to repentance and faith, and he demonstrates the love of the Father. He he touches the sick, he touches the outcasts, and he brings healing to them. I, I think this is beautiful for us, especially if you've come. If you've come looking for Jesus today, you know we all come running. We're looking for Jesus, and if if you want to see who He is, this is who He is: that that He welcomes the crowd. That that as much as we love and want to be around Jesus, He loves and wants to be around us. That He cares for us. He doesn't He doesn't reject us. He doesn't say, "I'm too tired to deal with you right now." No, He comes and He says, "I welcome the crowds." And, he, and if we come to him, he tells us exactly what we need to hear. He tells us the good news of the kingdom of God. It's good news that begins as bad news, isn't it? Come to him, and we come to him, and he tells us that we are sinners against the holy God. That we've run away. We're like sheep who have strayed from a caring shepherd. We've rejected the rule and the reign of God. He's the king, and we've rejected that. We've chosen to make ourselves king. When we make ourselves king, we make a mess of everything. But that's what we've done. That's who we are. And we only bring judgment and death on ourselves. And so we're these lost sheep. We have no way to return back to the shepherd. We face death. We face hell. We face judgment. But Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd who has come actually to seek and to save the lost. He's not waiting for us to come back to him. He comes to us. He comes out looking for his lost children. He calls for us to come back, to repent from our sins, to believe in him. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the Good Shepherd who becomes the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb, who lays down His life for us. But if we would believe in Him, He has died on our place. He's become a criminal, not because of His sins, but because of our sins. And He's taken them all on Himself. And He rose again. He defeated death. He calls us to come. He gives us this good news. Turn. Repent. Believe. And we will be saved from the wrath of God. And we will know eternal life. I just want us to all have that picture of Jesus. And whatever, if you are a Christian or not, that what Jesus is saying here is that if we desire to come to him, that he welcomes us with open arms, that he wants to help, that he wants to tell us the truth, and that he lovingly will minister to us. So all this is happening. He's interacting with the crowd, healing, teaching. And the day continues to go on, and it says here in in verse 12, Now the day began to wear away. The sun is beginning to set. The shadows are getting longer. And so the disciples come to Jesus, and they have a suggestion. (laughs) doesn't seem like much of a suggestion, more like a command almost. The twelve come to him, and they say, Send the crowd away. (laughs) They say, Jesus, we think it's time for the crowd to leave. Um, there 's too many people here for us to feed it's it 's going to be time to sleep soon we don 't have any food and there 's there 's no shelter so Jesus, the best thing to do right now is to send everyone away It becomes clear in the in the following verses that the disciples part of the reasons they don 't understand the power of god they they 've seen it but they still don 't don 't get it but i can 't help but wonder and i don 't want to infer too much so if you feel like i 'm inferring too much, then you can reject this but I feel like maybe they're just a bit frustrated. Remember why they had gone to this place? This was supposed to be their special retreat with Jesus. Their time alone away from the ministry, and now it's turned into probably one of the biggest ministry campaigns that they've had in Galilee, and I just think that maybe they're they're a little frustrated. It was fine that they, they needed the rest, and yet they watch Jesus, he's welcoming the crowd, he's teaching, he's loving lovingly healing the crowd and the disciples are just kind of they're there in the background waiting for this moment to stand up and say, "Um everyone we're we're tired and Jesus is tired, so we need you all to go away right now I don't know if that's enough that's what I sense here and it just strikes me that this is what I think is possible that it's possible for all of us to know the power of Jesus but miss his heart to that we can understand so much about who he is. I mean the disciples experienced the power of God in such a deep way I mean they knew it. They understood who he was. And so, when Jesus tells them in verse 13, he says, you give them something to eat. I don't think the issue is just that they doubt his ability to multiply the little that they had. I think that's part of it. But also that they really would just rather send everyone away. They really didn't want to deal with it. They would prefer to have nothing to do with the people that surrounded them. I think it's easy to get there. I think that's kind of where we often fall and I admit that this is where I can get that we understand the power of Jesus but we don't have his heart that we long for this personal time with Jesus but we're we're unwilling to show kindness to those that are in need I've been there many times I think we all have and I think this reminds us that being a disciple of Jesus isn't just knowing a lot about him it's not just spending personal time with him it's not just understanding his power and who he is but it's also walking in his footsteps of kindness and love and this welcoming spirit that's what a disciple of jesus looks like of speaking the truth but in love of of being willing to to meet practical needs this this healing we can't heal everyone but this 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 love that says i'm i'm going to go out of my way to help you in whatever specific need you have right now. And so I guess the question is as individuals and even as a church, do we look more like Jesus or more like the disciples? As an individual, are you a person that just that welcomes all into your life? Christian and non-Christian alike. Those who have needs, you say, I want to help. I will I will tell you the truth that you need and I will serve you in loving practical ways. Or are we like the disciples, you know, I do my personal thing with Jesus and I don't really know that I need to do anything else beyond that. I understand who he is. I know my theology, well. But we don't practice that kindness, that, that love, that welcoming heart of Christ. As a church, what are we? Are, are we are we like Jesus? Are, are our doors wide open? And not, not just that they're physically open, but people feel welcome. Come, come in. Everyone is welcome to come. And we will tell you the truth of the kingdom of God. We'll do it in love and we'll also do our best. We can't heal you, but we can meet practical needs in a loving way. We will show care for you. Or would we rather metaphorically close the doors and say, you know what, let's just kind of do our own thing. We'll just be our little group. I pray that we are all learning to be like Jesus. And it's it's a balance. We're never 100% going to be there. There's going to be days where we say, I just would rather leave. I confessed that to my small group about a couple weeks ago. I said, I was in the neighborhood. I didn't want to help anyone. (laughs) I just didn't feel like it. And God helped me, rebuke me, to see that was in my heart. And so there's times where, we, and I think when we get there, there's, that maybe means, hey, let's unplug for a minute. Let's take a break and get away. And yet, I pray that we have this welcoming, loving, truth-speaking heart of Jesus. Well, then the miracle happens, right? Jesus begins to, to show the, the care that he has. He shows the disciples the care that he has for the people. He reveals that he is the Messiah who provides and makes full. Again, that's that big idea we're thinking of. He provides and make makes full. And so he tells um, he tells the disciples, "You feed them." And uh, they explain that they've explored every option that they have, um, and they're none of them work. Number one, we don't have near enough money um, for the food. Uh, we, well, we don't have near enough money, and we're too far away to get it. And B, there's not enough food here to share. Um, And and should we think that they're maybe exaggerating because they have five loaves and two fish, well, maybe they can stretch it out, make it work. That's when Luke reveals to us how many people were there, for there were about 5,000 men. Okay, so there's 5,000 men, not to mention women and children, which would have been less than the 5,000, but still that's mouths to feed. In the eyes of his disciples, this is an impossible situation. I mean, they've seen Jesus victorious over impossible situations already, right? But this is impossibler. This is the list situation. Jesus can't do this. Sally Lloyd-Jones, in Jesus' Storybook Bible, that if you help with our kids, you get to read that. She puts it this way. It says, How in the world will Jesus feed everyone with just that, Jesus' friends said, because they thought it was impossible. But Jesus knew the one who made all the fish in the oceans. And Jesus knew the one who in the very beginning had made everything out of nothing. How hard would something like this be for someone like that? That's deep, isn't it? How hard would something like this be for someone like that? Answer, not hard at all. (laughs) And so Jesus tells the disciples to get everyone in the groups of 50 and sit down. And that's that's the first miracle before the feeding of the five thousand is to get over five thousand hungry people to sit down in groups of of fifty with people they never met, um, and then it says that Jesus began to he 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 took the bread and the fish, and I'm sure it was very visible. Uh, he held them up and he was very clearly blessing it, asking God to bless this bread and this fish, and he he asks God to to bless it. And then he takes it and he, he, he starts to, to break it up. And he breaks it up and he gives it to the disciples and the disciples then give it to the people. So here we see Jesus, he, he breaks bread and he gives it to the disciples. And then he breaks some more bread and gives it to the disciples. And then he breaks some more bread and gives it to the disciples. And then he breaks some more bread and gives it to the disciples thousands upon thousands of times. Literally thousands of times he probably broke this bread. These are small loaves. He just continues to break. There's over 5,000 people. Breaks the bread. Breaks the bread. He just keeps breaking the bread. And as he breaks the bread, people are eating. And they have first helpings. And they have second helpings. And they have third helpings. This is not like an afternoon snack. This is not... Crackers and sardines. This isn't like a handful of trail mix. This is a full meal. It says that, that, it says that they all ate and were satisfied. They filled their stomachs. I mean, they were full when they were done. He's not just tiding them over so that they can make the walk to town. He fills their stomachs. He provides everything that they need. Now let me pause here and just say this. Brothers and sisters, this was a miracle. There are people who will try to explain this away as something else. And their explanations are so silly that I'm not even going to mention them. This was a miracle. Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish and fed over 5,000 people. And he proclaimed and announced to the disciples specifically, to everyone but specifically to the disciples, he says, I am the Messiah who provides and makes full. Who do you think I am? I am the the Messiah who provides and makes full. Can you imagine being the disciples? I mean this is they are so close to this. It's like being right next to a magician. You have no idea how he did it. You know there's some trick here. How did he do that? I mean they are right there. It's not magic, it's a miracle. He, he, he imagine they they come to Jesus, he breaks the bread and he gives it to them and they you know, disciple number 1 walks away. And then he hands it to the to the crowds. They're the ones that are to distribute. And then he breaks some more for the next, and they just keep cycling back and they keep coming. And there's more and more and more and more to give. And they keep giving it to people. And the people are like, where are you getting this food? And they say, I don't even know where we're getting this food. Jesus just keeps giving it to us. And then everyone eats and is satisfied. And the disciples probably ate and were satisfied. And then Jesus says, go get the leftovers. And they say leftovers. And and what's it say there? It says they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over? was picked up. How many baskets? Twelve. Why do you think there were twelve? Because there were twelve disciples. They all needed to see it. And they all went and they all had baskets. These are good-sized baskets. They're not tiny little baskets. They're not little grocery bags. Baskets, big baskets, full of leftover pieces. And Jesus says, if you didn't get it the first time, I am the Messiah who provides and makes full. It's beautiful. It's it's just a a wonderful message and and it I think at first they were confused and I think by the end they were laughing I mean as we are right I mean it's just it's so great to think about who Jesus is and, and you know this it, it's such a a picture it points to so many different things this idea of bread and of being full it it it's all over Scripture let me just give you a few. Just to sort of whet your appetite and maybe this afternoon just try to think about some of this. But it goes back to the Old Testament. It goes all the way back to the children of Israel. We can think about the manna, right? That that when God's people were in the wilderness, they needed food. And what did God do? He sent food from heaven. He gave them little wafers, you might say, little pieces of bread. Psalm 78, 23 through 25 puts it like this. Yet he commanded the skies above. And opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat, and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. That God is the one who provides, and Jesus is now the one who provides. And so Jesus is seen as God himself. He provides for these needs. I, I thought about Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. You remember that, where where she just had a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour, and the prophet said, Make me some bread. And she says, I can't. I, I, it's me and my son. We're going to eat and then we're going to die. And he says, no, it won't run out. And she makes bread. She brings flour and oil. And the next day she gets more flour, more oil, more flour, more oil, until the rain had fallen on the ground God provided for her. He is our provider. Uh, I, he meets our physical needs. Jesus will always meet our physical needs. Now, There are tough questions about that because there, there are Christians, there are followers of Jesus who, who today don't have enough food. And I, I don't know how to answer that totally. I think that's something we need to contemplate. But but the reality is that, that Jesus shows that, that he provides. That he provides for our, our needs. He meets our physical needs. This is why we follow the pattern of Jesus and pray before a meal. That we bless the food. I think sometimes we just sort of do that because that's what we're supposed to do. What's the reason for that? It's to say, God, this is from you. I may have worked the job, but it's all a blessing from your hands. And this manna, this this flour, it all it all points to Jesus, though. Jesus is the true man. If you look in John six, I, I'd encourage you to read John six maybe this afternoon. But John six is is just this this totally different picture of, of what the feeding of the five thousand looked like. And afterwards, Jesus has one of his toughest teachings. I mean, it's it's hard stuff. He starts saying things like I you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood and people are, are confused, they don't know what's going on, but but he starts to draw the parallels. He says um, in John six verse verse thirty one he says the the people come, they say, Our fathers ate men in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat that the people wanted more food. They just experienced the feeding of the five thousand and they came back and they said, Could you make some more food? Can we have some more to eat? And Jesus says, you missed the point. The point wasn't the bread. The point is me." And so he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread of heaven from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He says, later on, in uh, verse 48, he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, He will live forever and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus breaks this bread and he breaks this bread and he satisfies every person there. And the point as with all the miracles, remember this, the point with the healings, the point with raising from the dead, the point of throwing out demons is not raising the dead, healing and throwing out demons. The the point is Jesus can save you. And the point of, of the bread is not That Jesus is good for a free meal. It's that Jesus is your life. That Jesus is the bread of life. That Jesus will satisfy your deepest longings. That that Jesus, if we come to him, all who hunger, you will never hunger again. All who are thirsty, you will never thirst again. He is the bread of life. That's the point. It points us to the Lord's Supper, where he makes this so clear. He breaks the bread at the Passover. You just think about Jesus breaking the bread there again, just as they had seen him do that day. He breaks the bread and he says, This is my body, broken for you. He says, This is your life. This is where you will find hope, is in my broken body. And it will never run out, and it will always satisfy you. This is all you need. Once you've had this, you don't need anything else. So Jesus meets our physical needs, but but it points that that He meets our spiritual needs, that 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 He meets our deepest need, our need for a Savior, our need for life. Without Him, we are dead. So the question is, why why are we always going somewhere else? I mean, why are we always looking for for bread and for satisfaction somewhere else? If if Jesus has come and, and and he he satisfies us, then it's just foolishness to try to be filled with something else. And the crowd doesn't get it in John 6. They don't understand what he's trying to say. And so it says says later on, after this, verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. These are the, the larger group of disciples. They just didn't understand. They didn't know what he was trying to say. So Jesus turns to the 12. says, do you want to go away as well? Are you just here for the free meal? Is it just meeting these physical needs? Is that, is that all I am for you? And what does Peter say? Peter speaks up. Because that's what Peter always does. But he's got a good one this time. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's beautiful. We've come to see who you are, Jesus. That there, I mean, where else are we going to go? Where, where, where else do you want to go? He's, he's, he's the one that fills and satisfies, and and we go all these other places. That's what sin is. That's what Jeremiah tells us sin is in Jeremiah chapter one. Jeremiah chapter one, he says, as he's pronouncing. Uh, judgment on the people. He says this powerful verse. He says, "Be appalled, O heavens, at this! Be shocked! Be utterly des- desolate!" declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. The first, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. The second, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. He says, "I am, on the fountain of living water, and they've they've forsaken me, and they've gone to broken cisterns. They've gone to to dry wells. They're drinking." cups full of dirt instead of life-giving water. This is us. We don't come to Jesus for satisfaction. We go to everything else. We think that everything else is going to make us happy. This is for Christians and non-Christians alike. We forget Jesus is the one that fills and satisfies you. Jesus is the one that fills and satisfies you. Where else are you going to go? That's the question. The problem is we go elsewhere. We look elsewhere. We try to find satisfaction somewhere else and it's like it's like seeing a beautiful clear stream and instead saying, I'd rather eat dirt. Jesus will fill and satisfy you, and he's the only one that can. And so if you come today and you, you just you are sick because you, you just haven't drunk from Jesus. You haven't found him to be satisfying. You've been eating other things. I just encourage you. He's the only one that will satisfy. And you will you will have hunger pains for the rest of your life, soul hunger pains, you might say, unless you come to Him. He is the bread of life. Jesus is the Messiah, who provides and makes full. And so He He makes this, gives us this beautiful picture. He's the fulfillment of of the manna, and He's the one that that provides for us. And then in the present, He comes at the the Lord's Supper, and He says, "My broken body." My death, my resurrection, this is where the life is. This is, this is what will satisfy you and nothing else. But in all of this, he's also giving a picture of the future. It's the past, it's, it's, it's the present and, and and even looking towards the future with the Lord's Supper, but even, even beyond that, this is a foretaste of the messianic banquet this is isaiah 25 he prophesies of this i don't jump around more than i normally do but um, isaiah 25 verse 6 says on this mountain the lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food a feast of well-aged wine of rich food full of marrow of aged wine well refined not bread and fish this is a little bit better Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. There's a day coming when we will feast with God, when He will continue to fill us for all eternity. We will be satisfied for all eternity with Christ. (coughs) And John writes of it in Revelation. Revelation 19, about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen to these words, this thing that we have to look forward to if we are in Christ. He says, Then I heard, what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory for the marriage supper. Uh, the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen and bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those. Who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. As as beautiful and amazing and and wonderful as this picture is of Jesus sitting and feeding and just continuing to give. It's just a it's the, the lightest taste of what we will experience if we are in Christ. That there is a, a meal coming when Jesus breaks bread and he breaks bread, and he breaks bread, and he just continues, he continues for all eternity. And we are satisfied for all eternity, and there are no more tears, and there is no more death. Where else are you going to go? Where else would you go except to the God that will provide this for us, that gives us, even now in Christ, the foretaste of this, but promises that one day we will sit with him for all eternity, and be filled with the richest of foods and we will never want for anything, but we will be satisfied in Christ alone. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord, we we confess that we, we want to eat of something else. We want to find satisfaction somewhere else. And it's just foolishness. It's just deception. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they keep telling us to go look elsewhere. And Where else are we going to go? Lord, you are the one that have e- has the words of eternal life. So you are the only Savior. Lord, and, and, and if we know you, then, then we will one day sit with you and always be satisfied. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for looking elsewhere. Lord, and fill us with a renewed heart, a renewed passion to, to be satisfied in Christ alone to remember, Lord, that you are the God who provides and you make full, you satisfy our every longing. Lord, I pray if there's any here who, who have never tasted of that, never really understood that, that what they are longing for deep down is to know Christ, to know his life that he can give because he is the bread of life. Lord, I pray that they would come, they would see you standing with wide open arms, so that you welcome, you welcome all people, and you are ready to tell them the truth, and to lovingly care for them, if they will come in repentance and faith. And Lord, help us as we leave this place to go out to tell everyone that, that's gorging themselves on the dirt of the world, Lord, that there is this life-giving spring in Jesus that will satisfy their deepest needs. Lord, that we would pull them away from the dust of the earth, that we would pull them away from sin and show them that you are the true bread of heaven that has come down. You satisfy us. You give us abundance. So thank you for Jesus, God. We, we worship him. we say with those in Revelation, hallelujah, for the Lord our God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory.